Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This is CX, our West Monroe Partners Customer Experience Podcast. I'm Mike Manfredo. And this is Paul Hagan. Paul, I got to say, I'm fired up for our special guest here uh, to, to help us continue our, our discussion on the, the merging worlds of customer experience and customer success. Um, he's, the, uh, he's the CEO of Gainsight, one of the market-leading customer success platforms. He's one of the authors of Customer Success, How Innovative Companies Are Reducing Churn and Growing Recurring Revenue, which is practically one of the written gospels for customer success. Uh, he's also a Pittsburgh Steelers fan that lives in the Bay Area. Not mm. sure how that all works out, but uh, <laughs> we have joining us today Nick Meta, uh, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna help us just chat through, have a conversation on his perspective on the colliding worlds that we've been talking about recently with customer experience and customer success. So, Nick, uh, we really appreciate you coming onto the podcast today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much. I'm happy to talk about any of those topics, especially football. Awesome. Well, before we get into the conversation, uh, was hoping that you'd actually be able to share a little bit of your origin story with our audience and kind of how you ultimately got to where you are today. Origin story. I love that. It sounds like a Marvel movie. Uh, so That's right. I, I was a scientist working in a lab. No, I, I, um, I grew up, not surprising. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So that's where the Steeler thing comes from. And uh, my my uh, my mom and dad were immigrants from India in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, but I was born in the U.S. And my mom, uh, my a lot like all Indian moms, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, but uh, my dad uh, worked in technology, so he would love to would have loved to see me work in technology. And so I kind of I basically ran those two parallel trains for quite a while. I actually went to college and studied both biochemistry and computer science, so I could keep my mom and wow. my dad happy. So I kind of. <laughs> had optionality, but eventually I picked one, picked one horse and, and, uh, uh, loved, lo always loved the technology world. My dad, uh, was a kind of small business entrepreneur, ran some small tech companies and nothing, nothing that got big, but I grew up around computers and programming and, you know, probably didn't have too many friends, but I had a lot of like PCs sitting around my house playing video games, you know, writing, writing programs and Pascal and basic and languages that were a long time ago. And because <laughs> of that, I just kind of got, I got into tech and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of was always uh, into the idea of moving to Silicon Valley at some point. And then I went to, went to college and actually met a classmate, um, this on the East Coast, and, and we um, basically started an internet company together back in the, the first dot-com. Um, and my classmate was a big golfer. He played on the golf team. And um, basically, we kind of um, decided to launch this business. He actually had the idea first, and he brought me in as a co-founder um, to sell golf clubs over the web back in the late 90s. So very like back in the late nineties, anything over the web was like a really novel idea. And so, right. so we, we had this business called chipshot.com and we actually ended up moving to California after college and, um, and working in my buddy's parents, a house in their garage in Saratoga, California, which is right near kind of Silicon Valley and San Jose. And we um, launched the business and then ended up raising venture capital, even though we were these super young kids out of college uh, from Sequoia Capital is a well-known venture capital firm. And uh, dot, 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 the company almost went public actually during the dot com. So we were kind of these very young kids, uh, you know, sitting on all this paper wealth and, you know, kind of on the cover of magazines and things like that. Unfortunately, dot, 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 a little bit more in the dot com crash. And uh, <laughs> we ended up, ended up selling the business, but not, not making any money, but still, as they say, great learning experience. And then mm -hmm. uh, long story short, after that, I would end up in enterprise technology. So I went from the world of kind of selling golf clubs over the web to enterprise software. And I worked in a big company, Symantec, for a while. I, I ran a division there. 
Um, and then I was hired to run a SaaS company called Live Office, which I ran and then eventually sold um, a few years later. And in running my last company, I basically kind of woke up to the reality that when you have a subscription or cloud business, when your customers have all the power, when they decide when, when, when to stay or when to go, um, it changes everything about the way you run your company and you got to put customer success at the center. And that's why I've been doing Gainsight now for about seven and a half years. Awesome. Fabulous. Well, hey, Nick, we can't, you know, it's hard to start any conversation these days without talking about the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, how yeah. is, you know, how is that impacting what your customers are, are asking you guys to solve? Any, any, any changes or are they doubling down on it? Yeah, well, I would say everything's changed. So every single thing in the entire world's changed and it's definitely crazy. And, and most importantly, first, we got to say, that like whatever we deal with is challenges being in the tech industry and all that are nothing compared to all the people on the front lines and restaurant mm -hmm. workers that got laid off mm -hmm. and you know people working in the hospitals. And so I think anytime we talk about this stuff, we got to put in the context of the privilege that at least I have in, in my life. Um, but within that world, um, you know, what we're seeing is a few different trends. So like at a macro level, every business is like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And a lot of companies have put freezes on spending and things like that, right? That's true across the board. Um, but what what's interesting is we're seeing more and more companies saying, okay, if we're going to unfreeze spending or if we're going to spend it all, um, they're shifting their focus from like the old boom economy when it was all about new business, sales and marketing, that's like number one. And then like, once you've finished all that, then you get to your customers and customer success and customer experience and all that. We're seeing that relative prioritization shift in some companies because they're realizing for their business, it's hard to sell new deals. And so pretty much all their revenue is going to come from their existing installed base, either keeping it, uh, but hopefully ideally growing it as well, right? And customers right. are actually going to, in general, going to consolidate spending. So if you're a vendor, if you can get a customer to do more with you, um, you not only can actually drive more revenue, you can actually secure your future. Because if you're not getting them to consolidate with you, they're going to consolidate with somebody else. Just to give you an anecdote, just this morning was on a call with a... Um, with a, a, a large publicly traded company in the security space. And they reached out and the CIO actually reached out to me. I, I know him a little bit and said, hey, I'd love to get on the phone with you. Um, and I got on the phone with him. He brought the whole like management team on. And they're like, we're gonna talk about customer success. And this had been a company that we had out on our list to like talk about customer success forever and for whatever reason didn't engage. And I said, so why, why are you guys thinking about this now? And they're like, COVID. Like we have all these customers, you know, and they have all on subscription. And now these customers are going to be looking at whether they keep that vendor or not. And they're realizing they've got to prioritize customer success above all else now. That Well, that, that's very timely in terms of the, uh, clearly in, in, in terms of anecdotally what's happening out there. Um, so let, so you, you mentioned, you know, the, the fact that uh, there is this shift occurring that's focused on reprioritizing around retention and focusing on uh, deepening existing relationships um, you know, I think in some ways, uh, had organizations been doing that prior to, they could, it could have set them up, uh, totally. for success going through this, but in, in any case, uh, you know, customer loyalty is something that obviously any company wants, whether it's a good times or bad. Um, and it's something that both customer success and customer experience professionals are, are ultimately working on. So maybe just you know since our audience is a little bit more customer experience focused yes. um maybe just from your perspective can you can you walk us through how you define or how you think through of uh customer success and how it's similar um or different or even symbiotic or you know kind of uh, uh related to um what the cx pros are doing today 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, for the customer experience pros listening to this, first of all, hi. Uh, you definitely have like pioneered, I think, the landscape of what customer success is building on. And I think the, just to kind of rewind a little bit, customer success was catalyzed not by a kind of trend in the customer base, but actually more a trend in business models, right? So more and more companies were moving to kind of recurring revenue business models where you weren't paid up front, like a traditional software business where you get paid to buy the software, you're now getting paid in, in an as a service model as you go. And so a lot of customer success teams were created out of a, initially a defensive um, issue, which was, hey, these customers are on a subscription. How do I make sure they don't churn us, right? That's That was literally the, how the industry got formed. Um, and that started mainly in software businesses, although over time it's expanded in lots of other areas. Over time, customer success evolved to not just be defensive, but to be the idea that, hey, we want to make sure that our customers are getting maximum value from our products and services so that they stay with us, but also they spend more money over time. And that's kind of a, a simple definition of what customer success is. How does it relate to customer experience? Well, in a, in a B2B business model, which is where most of customer success is, customers don't just buy for the experience. It's not like B2C, right? So they're not, um, they're, it's not one individual making a decision for themselves where like my experience with United Airlines, which isn't always great, but sometimes is, is not the, is, is the end decision of whether I'm gonna go fly again. Um, mm -hmm. In the B2B world, it's also about the business outcome that company gets, right? Are they driving more revenue with you? Are they creating more leads? Are they making their employees happier? And so what we've kind of uh, shared with the world is in the B2B world, customer success is the combination of customer experience, which is super important. And, and everyone listening to this has probably helped pioneer that as mixed with the outcomes they're getting. So we write up an equation that says CS equals CO, customer outcomes, plus CX, customer experience. And so in the B2B world, it's sort of customer experience is a core part of customer success. So let me, Nick, can I push it? Let me push you on that a little bit. Cause Please, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, we're I'm always curious. trying to find ourselves. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, we, I, I think, you know, we often find that half of our clients around customer experience are coming out of the B2B world. Yep. And, and, and it, at some point it comes back to humans and humans, you know, either have good experiences, they trust doing business with you. Totally. Certainly yep. they see the value out of it. Um, and conversely, you know, many, you know, there's lots of people in, in subscription-based business. I think of banks as being, or utilities in a subscription business. Um, Nordstrom in a consumer world is, is you know, wants repeat customers. It may not be subscription perhaps, but that notion of, of loyalty Recurring. and repeat yep. business and all of those kinds of things. So it feels like, you know, everyone is trying to get to a subscription-based business, however they're doing it. And whether you're B2B or B2C, there is this notion of a, of of an experience that someone has and ultimately those outcomes they may be business related outcomes but in the consumer space my outcomes may be you know i don't want to just buy your nike shoes i want to win a race or i want to win a contest or i want to get in shape you know or those other things there's outcomes that that are there where this you know and this is why i find customer success so interesting is if i define it not as just a product, but the outcome that the customer is actually, or the job to be done that the, the, the customer is trying to do. It's a really interesting kind of definition of it all, even for customer success, customer experience folks. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It's interesting because I was defining, I think, where the world has been, which is you had customer mm. success growing up in this B2B world and customer experience, like you said, being across both, but some of the real original thinking coming more from the consumer world. 
but like you said, consumers want outcomes and you know, business people want experiences. So I think mm. they really are going to blur together over time as people talk about, you know, instead of B2B or B2C, business to human, you know, it's all humans the whole way, right? And I think you have to take kind of the best of both concepts. So let's let's try to break it down to what concepts come from both worlds, right? Beautiful. The experience world, you have amazing things like un- getting customer feedback, voice of the customer, journey mapping, understanding sentiment, loyalty, NPS, right? All those great things, right? And every B2B business needs all of that. And then on the customer success world, because they kind of, that industry grew up a little bit in the software area, there's other things that were brought to the table. So for example, how do you deal with multiple stakeholders, right? Because each mm-hmm. of them have their own experience and some of them are more important than others, right? How do you, how do you understand um, the adoption that that customer has of your product or service, what they're using, what they're not, right? And that really understand that telemetry, which SaaS companies, because of the nature of running in the cloud, have had a kind of goldmine of that data. How do you understand the ROI the customer is getting, the outcomes that they're getting, as, as we were just talking about? And I think in the future, you're going to see the CS and CX come back together, bringing the best of that kind of personal human experience with the kind of business outcomes and you know, be able to link them together. Um, and I think, that's, I think there's still a few years to go, but I definitely think uh, that's where the world's going. I like that way of looking, looking at it, you know, from a capability. What do each of those yeah. the disciplines come to as a capability? It'd be interesting. Talk a little bit about how standalone customer success organizations are structured today relative to those capabilities. Yeah, totally. So, you know, because of, I think, this like old world of B2B and B2C, there are different structures, I think, that you'll see. So I'll try to characterize what I see and see mm-hmm. what you guys think as well, right? So in the B2B world, pre-customer success, what did an org chart look like? Well, you had somebody building the software or products or whatever, call that the head of engineering or products, right? You had somebody paying the bills and charging the customers. That's like the CFO. You had somebody managing the people. That's HR. So put all those to the side, right? And then in the customer facing side, you had a marketing team, you had a sales Mm -hmm. team, and you probably had some kind of a customer support or service team, right? That's kind of, you know, that's often the org chart of a B2B company pre-customer success. What Mm -hmm. most companies have converged to now is the idea that you you still need a marketing team and sales team and all that. But then ideally, you have some integrated group looking at that post-sale experience, right? Um, and by the way, I'll come back to whether it's really post-sale or should include pre-sale, which we can mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, looking at that post-sale experience, and so many companies put all that under a chief customer officer, and that person has the support experience, the professional services experience, the training experience, in some cases, customer success managers who are kind of shepherding that whole process, um, which is a whole new job that many companies have added. And then sometimes they'll put the customer experience executive underneath that chief customer officer. And the idea is the customer experience executive isn't just looking within the org of the chief customer officer. They're looking across the whole company. They're looking at the marketing expectation that's been set. They're looking at the product. They're looking at the sales process. They're looking at the billing process, right? Like end to end. And so sometimes you have a chief customer officer with an experienced person underneath them. That's actually how we're structured at Gainsight. So I have a mm. chief customer officer reporting to me. And he has a, in addition to all the functional roles, he's got a VP of customer experience who looks across the whole company. Obviously, in the B2C world, the way that experience grew up might be a little different. Sometimes experience came out of a marketing-led initiative. So it might ex- report into a chief marketing officer. Sometimes it came out of the operations group, because let's say it was a retail store operation Mm -hmm. or a hotel chain, and it might report into the operations group, like the chief operating officer, you know? And so, so you have these like different genesis, but based on like B2B or B2C. But again, I think over time, the world will come together. 
Yeah, and certainly operating structure. You know, uh, customer experience is a is a is a really different thing when you've got a low consideration product with a low life cycle, yes. lots of repeat kinds of purchases, but low you know consideration versus you know longer life cycle, longer uh, usage. You know, s- same with the B two B world. I can I can imagine it has more. You to got do it. Operating structure than uh, than necessarily uh, e- even B two B B two C. That's right. Yep, totally agree. So thinking about not just the structures in place, but um, and 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 I kind of see where where they start to really come together is the customer success is a is a big pillar in being able to operationalize your experience, right? To ensure that you're ultimately delivering on that intended, not just the experience, but to ultimately uh, delivering on the value prop to your mm-hmm. to your customers in terms of your product or your service. So. What are maybe, um, you know, obviously living in the world that we do now, but what are some of the more interesting things that your more uh, successful customers are doing when it when it comes to either specifically with customer success or merging that with from a CX standpoint, getting, you know, uh, better understanding who the customers are, what their what their needs are, how to meet them and ultimately delivering that through customer success? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that. Um... You, you are hitting on like something that's really core to customer success, which I alluded to before, which is the notion of the desired outcome, right? So the customer wants a great experience and they have some outcome they're looking for. And I think if you, there's some businesses where the outcome is really straightforward, right? Generally speaking, you hire an airline to get you from point A to point B. Generally speaking, you use a hotel to have a nice place to stay for the night, right? Et cetera. Um, it's it, in the B2B world, because and actually in some B2C areas as well, by the way, um, you have products where sometimes the, a given product can be ha- used for lots of outcomes, right? And I'll, I'll use an example of a company called Splunk. Splunk makes software that essentially kind of like lets you um, easily understand your unstructured data like log files. And you can use that software to do everything from uh, better like monitor whether your servers are going to fail, figure out whether your environment's secure, monitor like the business performance of your data by inferring things from the log files. So, so you can do so many different things with it. And you can imagine there's lots of products like that where there are many different ways you can use those products. And so one of the things that I think is pretty powerful now is taking this outcomes view all the way end to end from like the marketing process of, you know, how do you market outcomes to the sales process of when you're selling to a customer, what are you promising, right? And what are the outcomes they're, they're sharing to then after the sale, making sure the way you set them up and the way you onboard them and the way you deliver is to those outcomes. So in Splunk's case, they built this really strong end-to-end process where in the sales process, they actually, when they're selling you Splunk software, they're capturing what are the desired outcomes that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And they've mapped them to this framework that it's, they call it the prescriptive value path, PVP. So the idea is, okay, here's all the reasons people buy Splunk. And here's kind of standard kind of like recipes to get that value from Splunk. And then when they close that deal, they actually automatically hand, you know, hand um, this sort of artifact off to the CSM team, the customer success team. In this case, they use Gainsight. And that team now has what's called a success plan in Gainsight that maps out, okay, how are we gonna get this client to value using this prescriptive value path? So fully automating that handoff, that's a, a common word people use, right? Handoff from the sales team to the post-sales team around the outcomes that clients looking for. So I think that's like that's like an example of the direction more companies will go in in the future. Hey Nick, I'm curious 
are you seeing either companies like yourself or other software companies building those customer outcome metrics into their own internal KPIs? You know, there's often often when I think of KPIs, they're they're internally focused. How much sales are we yeah. doing? What revenue? How much loyalty? Adding those things seems like a really interesting and maybe challenging thing to do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Both of them, yeah. So it, it, as I mentioned, there's some businesses where the outcome is really easily measurable, yep. right? So like you can say like, actually, I'll pick an example of a business uh, model where it's it's pretty measurable, which is in online advertising. Um, generally, like the models are, you get paid based on some kind of performance metric, like number of clicks or whatever, right? And so you can, you know, Google can see how many clicks all their customers get, and that's great. But maybe that's not the end outcome because you're looking for a click to turn into a sale to turn into a loyal customer, but at least it's a start and they can see that. But there's other businesses where it's much harder to like easily see the, the outcomes customers are getting. And so what we're finding is step one is to put your customers into some kind of outcomes framework, right? So actually to go in and, and be able to, in Splunk's case, build these prescriptive value pads and see, okay, here's the different types of outcomes our customers get. Typically, they take a step back and say, well, what, why are all the reasons people buy us? And they have to do a big offsite and map them out and build them into a framework and things like that. And then step two is, how do I figure out whether we're getting those outcomes or not for a given customer? And this is where you look at things like telemetry. Can we tell mm -hmm. you know, from the customers, are they doing X, Y, and Z? And that's correlated with outcomes. Or in some cases, at least asking, you know, like Gainsight as an example, you know, we we um one outcome of using our software is like we can tell okay they're using it to like email customers or manage them or whatever but that's not the end outcome they use our software to eventually retain their clients and grow them and that's not something we could easily see in our own data so we built a process called verified outcomes where our customer success team one of their big jobs and one of their actual metrics that they're measured on is can they get the client to attest to a verified outcome, a financial outcome that they've had from using Gainsight, right? Mm. And then actually, you know, that's how we, we would actually go pay them. And that helps mm -hmm. the client too, because then the champion at your client who brought you in in the first place now has this nugget that they can use with their boss to talk about, you know, the great successes they've had in this case with Gainsight. Fabulous. So maybe, maybe let, let's look at the other side of this and, uh, you know, thinking about kind of the issues that organizations have uh, when they're looking to implement, you know, a Gainsight uh, kind of CS platform, you know, what are the big challenges that firms are having in order uh, um, when trying to, you know, deliver on this kind of more outcomes focused um, approach? Uh, where, where, where are the big, the big potholes that people are, are stepping into when trying to do this? Yeah, totally. So I we we've done you know because we we have about seven hundred customers and kind of who is who of subscription businesses and so um, you know it's everyone from big companies like Adobe or IBM or people like that to the pure plays like a DocuSign or an Okta or a Box to like you know companies like GE. So kind of across the board and and we took a step back and looked at our customers and uh, analyzed okay what are the core challenges they have and you had to break them down like if you you know if you, the customers bought into this idea of the new world of customer success and customer experience, right? What are the core day-to-day -day challenges they're running into? And we've basically found six challenges. So one challenge was um, basically unexpected churn, right? Being surprised never feels good. And that's true if you're dealing with a small customer, uh, but it's really true if you're dealing with the big customer, right? 
And a lot of companies still get surprised today. And so that idea of surprise and really knowing your risk in your customer base and having kind of an early warning on that, that's like number one. Mm. So the flip side is missing expansion opportunities. So there are a lot of companies where their customers need something new, don't even realize the vendor has that new such thing and they miss out on that opportunity and they end up going somewhere else, right? Or the vendor had a chance to sell them more of something and the customer didn't realize that they needed more and maybe they hit a limit and that caused a bad customer experience, right? You can imagine like cell phone minutes, things like that. The third third one that we see a lot of companies implement, and this is one that I would say goes back to the beginning of time, is customer visibility, like having that kind of 360 view of the customer, understanding everything about the health of that customer, but not not just from a data perspective, but really from an action perspective. You know, who's supposed to do what next with this customer? Really making mm-hmm. that clear. And you, you know, you can think of like a racy chart of like really understanding that, but operationalizing that customer by customer. What's the racy for this customer uh, specifically? Not just more generally, what's the racy for this customer? What's this one specifically in, in this particular business, right? Um, the fourth one is adoption, right? So adoption is something that um, in SaaS means, you know, you people using your product or service, but in general, kind of people getting more value out of what, what they're you know, kind of, uh, you know, what they've purchased from you, what they're using from you, those types of things. That That's a big area that a lot of people are wrestling with. And they're trying to do things like, um, you know, understand like, what is good adoption of our product or service? What features or functions should they use that are more highly correlated to churn, right? Like, or to retention, you know, maybe, maybe if they take this action in the first seven days, they're more likely to be staying with us. You know, maybe if they're using the new release, that means that they're more likely to to stay with us, things like that. So those types of questions about measuring adoption, really, really understanding like what is good in using our product and what is not good and kind of being thoughtful about that, um, like analytics around that, as well as like, what are the things we need to do as a company to actually drive that adoption? And then just to finish it out, Five is um, disconnected customer experience. So this goes mm-hmm. back to that age old problem, which is left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. So not really having that clear handoff, like for example, from pre-sales to post-sales like Splunk talked about. And then the last one is um, honestly, all of these things I said, but not being able to scale them. So in other words, I can do them for my top hundred customers. Nick, everything you said, I, I do fine. I don't get surprised by churn. I, don't, I have visibility. I have a great customer experience because I throw people at it but I don't know how to deal with the next thousand customers or the next hundred thousand. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, a lot of, as you're talking about them, I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, there's data that allows stuff, but then there's, you know, there's action on that data. I, I'm curious, yep. you know, we're, it almost feels like we're evolving um, tools like CRM, right? You, you talked about the traditional yep. customer, customer organization being, you know, sales, service and marketing. How much of this is is really an evolution out of CRM, and then you know more importantly, how do how do companies think about the difference? You know, you've got you've got these customer success tools, you've got traditional CRM, you've got these CXM tools or or customer experience management tools like a Qualtrics, uh, SAP. How do the, how do you see these things evolving? Um, you know, and then there's still process around it, which is I got to do something, and there's there's people in scale around that. How do you see this market evolving relative to all of these different, you know, uh, approaches? Yeah, totally. So I I think I think it all three all all of it is evolving. It's the right word because I think everyone's seeing 
the same opportunity. So let's start with CRM. So I, I don't think CRM as defined historically is the same as what we're talking about, except maybe at the most 30,000 foot level, right? I think CRM has done, you know, and obviously companies like Salesforce and others done an amazing job of building these great um, kind of systems that track our, our accounts and opportunities. And, you know, and the verbiage kind of, I think, reveals what they do really well, right? Mm-hmm. Accounts, opportunities, forecast. And it's, it's good from a sales perspective, they're amazing, right? And from a marketing perspective, increasingly, they're amazing. Um, and, and that's awesome. But there's a, a subtle different pivot, right? When you're talking about what's the customer's desired outcome versus what yeah. are you trying to transact with that customer? And so I think yeah. they're very complementary. And what you find is from a kind of customer deployment perspective, they typically deploy the customer success technology stack and the CRM very tightly together, right? Because you can't have the left hand and not right hand not talking to each other. But um, because you have this sort of like view of the customer and you have this separate view of the deal, you end up with these two different views of the world. And just to give you some examples of what, what, what that looks like. So in the view of the deal, um, the workflow is pretty straightforward because what you're trying to do is close the deal, right? And it's actually a relatively short cycle relative to the hopefully like very long relationship you have with the customer, right? Mm-hmm. Your sales cycle could be three months and hopefully your relationship with the customer is seven years, right? And, or whatever it is. And so because of that, I think the workflow and like accountability side is a little bit more clear who owns everything and the next step in a sales cycle, the salesperson, right? Like that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. But when you say like who owns the post-sale cycle, it's not one person. And so orchestration is a huge part of the need. Who does what when? And like that old phrase, I actually, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago. I was like, I'll know I'll have been successful 10 years from now when people stop using the phrase who owns this account. Because in the future, <laughs> no, no one owns the account. First of all, they own themselves. <laughs> They're their own organization. But um, the decision on what happens next has to be like an orchestrated process. It's not one person versus the right. sales process where you can say, yeah, there's one person driving it, right? That's, and, and so that's kind of CRM versus customer success. And then customer experience, um, there's definitely like a lot of connection between them. In fact, we at Gainsight in the world we serve, which tends to be technology-driven subscription businesses, we, we actually built a customer experience module as part of our suite to help people understand customer feedback and understand the signals. And we integrate and, and get feedback from lots of great systems out there like a everyone from a medallion Qualtrics all the way to a SurveyMonkey, that whole kind of range, many of our customers bring that data into Gainsight. And so I think they do have to play together well. Um, probably some of this comes down to what's the center of what people are trying to do. In the subscription-based technology businesses, often they're defining the center as customer success and kind of spanning things off of that. But in other businesses, they're defining the center as customer experience. So um, that's the fun of vendors battling it out in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm looking. Excellent. It'll be interesting as you talk about the orchestration too. There's a journey, a slew of journey orchestration vendors that are gaining in popularity in the totally. experience world, which you know play really nicely into kind of what you're talking about. So uh, more interesting. Hundred percent. Sure. Well, uh, you know, Nick, maybe uh, maybe we go ahead and wrap up the conversation uh, with with the last question. Um, and, you know, I'd love to maybe have a little uh, Nick get your perspective and Paul get your perspective off of that. Um, what should firms be doing now in the middle of everything that's going on right now to lay a foundation to come out of it stronger? And kind of where does CS, customer success, play in that? Where does customer experience play in that? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd say that, you know, for the people that were fortunate enough to start these initiatives earlier, it you're going to see the ROI of your work now, right? And it's going to show up in two ways, two levels. One is operationally, if you've got great customer success processes and your know, team and, and workflow and technology, it's going to be prime time for you to like leverage that to get, you know, customers to stay with you and grow and whatnot. But I say even more important than that, the focus that your firm has hopefully had on your customers as human beings in terms of the customer experience and all that, those relationships are going to let you kind of survive through the next you know, few years. But let's say you haven't done that. I don't think it's too late. Um, I, it's definitely never too late to treat people as human beings. And that's like, that's true, independent of any of this business stuff. And, and frankly, that shows up more now than ever. So people notice more. Um, and mm -hmm. so the experience really does matter more than ever. But on top of that, I think it's not too late to get organized on the customer success side. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of people just put in plans to like, how do you just quickly sort your customers based on the economic impact they've had and the outcomes and experience they've had with you? And how do you have the appropriate action plans for each? How do you divide and conquer? And interestingly enough, how do you get sales to own more of that? Because historically, sales was off rightfully so chasing the next deal, but there may not be a next deal for a while. And so you have these salespeople who are actually available and very talented. How do you partner the sales team and the customer experience team or the customer success team to go swarm your customers, help them out, treat them as human beings, get them to outcomes, and ideally keep them as uh, customers through this tough time? That's that's great, you know. And I I think, you know, the the, the this crisis I I think has changed people's mindsets and behaviors, um, habits, if you will. Um, both in the consumer and the in the business world, it's changing how we work, how we shop, how we how we interact with our colleagues, and so forth. And and I think in that change, you know, um, there is opportunity to become closer to where you're. You know, we're going to come out of this, and and the world is going to be different. It's going to think different. It's going to act different. Um, you know, whether that's in a few weeks or a few months, um, I think it's important to be closer to customers than ever. And so anyone who's not started the foundations needs to be start, starting those foundations, but more importantly, using those foundations um, to, to, to really, you know, proverbially skate to where your customers are, have, are going. Um, and it's those signals and, and those behavioral changes that'll be super important, the, the new ways that they're defining outcomes, because um, they will be different. So. Yeah, there's no doubt that we're going to leave this, this terrible crisis in, in a different world than we entered it. And I think that it's going to be a more, a more. I mean, the silver linings. I think it's going to be a lot, a lot more value on human relationships and human experiences, and um, being able to measure better the outcomes of what we're doing. So, absolutely, Nick. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. This has been a fun conversation with you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you both too. Thanks so much, and thanks to everyone listening. Yes, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, for those of you who are CX practitioners or executives out there, we'd love to hear how you've seen these two functions coming together um, or not in your day-to-day. -day. And so please feel free to send us any of your thoughts, questions, uh, ideas uh, to the email address found in the show notes. You can reach out to me and Paul via social media. Uh, give Nick a follow on Twitter. Uh, always giving... Uh, I appreciated all of the, the positive energy coming from uh, your guys' <laughs> shift to the work from home model. Oh, thank you. Um, Thanks. And, uh, you know, I think uh, you, you got a lot, a lot of great uh, information to share. So, um, but yeah, thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your day and stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks, all. Stay safe. Mm -hmm.